You're listening to the Jets Nation Podcast. I'm Cody Bueller, joined by my brother Kyle. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the hot play of Patrick Laine, the cool play of Connor Hellebuck, some roster moves with Appleton, Kopp, and Veselainen, Buff and the injury protocol, and the William Nylander contract. A lot to get to on today's show. All right, so starting things up, uh, let's start with something positive, Kyle, and uh, Patrick Laine in his hot play as of late. There's so many different things you could say about how many goals he has, comparing him to teams and the amount of goals they've scored. And there's been all sorts of different illustrations and people trying to describe how magnificent this is. We just don't see this many goals anymore in the NHL. Well, Five goal games? Well, exactly. And there's a whole list of records that he's either beaten or is on his way to beating, that sort of thing. Um, so last time five goals were scored in a game, you've probably heard this already, it was Johan Franzen back in 2011. That's a long time ago now. Uh, when I think 2011, I think it's only one or two years ago. Just how my brain works? Well, no, that's seven years ago now. So th- that's a long time in between five goal games across the entire NHL. It does not come around very often. Almost a once-in-a-generation type deal if we're talking about that nowadays in the NHL. Uh, but a whole host of other records like you are talking about. Uh, he's closing in on Mario or. Uh, he has 16 goals in November, most since 1996, where Lemieux had 17. Not quite at the record. I think the overall record is 20 goals in a month. Um, well, but, one more five-goal game. Here we go. But but there's so many different records that he's he's close to. Um, most hat tricks under the age of 21, I think. Yeah, and he was, has that one. there's only three guys that have scored five goals under the age of 21. Um, Wayne Gretzky on that list as well. Um, but there's just a whole host of records that Line has either set or is on his way to surpassing. And uh, kind of to top it all and off. And he's only one goal away from 100. Exactly. To top it all off, he's got 99 goals in his career. If he scores his 100th, I believe he'll be the fourth fastest player in NHL history or fourth youngest player in NHL history to score 100 goals. So just another remarkable feat um, by the young Finnish sniper. So impressive, and it's kind of funny because just a couple of podcasts ago, we were talking about what's wrong with Patrick Laine. Now, here's the question. He has a hot month of November. Does this change your entire perception of Patrick Laine? Does this change what your thoughts are of him this season? Because we talked about it earlier. He can get hot quickly, like what we've seen, and all of a sudden his totals look impressive. But when you think about it, he's had only three or four games with a ton of goals and then a lot where it's been kind of just ho-hum. Well, exactly. And this is kind of like last year as well. He he kind of is mediocre, bad start, mediocre the rest. And then all of a sudden last year is February where, where he showed up. I think he rattled off 12 or 13 goals in the span of 10 games over a goal a game for almost the month of February. So so he does these types of, of things. It's just a matter of getting him to play more consistently. And obviously you're not going to be scoring 10 or 15 goals a month every month. You just can't. But to get it on a more consistent basis where he is scoring every other game or three games in four nights without those long droughts of five, six, seven games without a goal, that's, I think, the next step where he needs to get to. Yeah, and I think he can get there. And I've always been kind of a little bit reserved on Patrick Laine because I think there are so many deficiencies in his defensive game, his play along the boards. And that's, I think, what a lot of people talk about when they kind of harp on Patrick Laine and his play. I think the compete level is there to a degree, especially the way you don't always necessarily see it, but I know it's there just with comments and the way he plays and he fires himself up getting ready for these games just with some comments that you hear him say. But you're right. The biggest thing is going to be now consistency. And when you talk about his game, I'd rather have him score 50 goals or actually 40 goals, let's say, spread out over every other game than 55 goals where he's got five hat-tricks at a five-goal game and it's major droughts of goals in between. 
Yeah, exactly. And especially you talk about that and that comes even more important in playoffs. What happens if he goes on one of those droughts in a seven-game series and doesn't score a goal? Exactly. So one seven-game series, he scores 10 goals in six games and he wins you the series, but then the next one he doesn't show up. It's just so hard to rely on that. Right, exactly. And and that's a real issue here. Uh, one of the, I think, the important things is is that he's scoring at even strength, which we haven't seen. And, and his shooting percentage is through the roof right now. Um, obviously, he's going to regress a little bit. I think he's up over 21% now. Uh, likely going to go down to that 17-18% by the end of the year, kind of where his maybe true talent level is. Still hard to say on a guy this young. But I think being able to score at even strength, and he, and he's getting some odd man rushes. He scored a couple two-on-ones, three-on-ones, some puck battles in front of the net. He's not only relying on the power play shot, and I think that will lend itself to maybe some more consistent scoring uh, going forward. Yeah, and so hopefully we can see more of that consistency. And then, well, I think I think the consistency thing should be factored in a little bit when you're looking at... Uh, contracts and looking at value, but I don't think they're going to really look at that. I think everybody always just talks about the totals, which are still impressive, and you still have to give them a lot of credit for the goal totals, Uh, but it's going to be interesting how they factor that all in when they look at contract negotiations, and we're going to talk about contracts a little bit more later on in the show, but we have the hot play of Patrick Laine as of late, and now kind of the cool play of Patrick or Connor Hellebuck. Well, you mentioned the cool play of Connor Hellebuck. We don't mean cool as in awesome. We mean cool as in ice cold, not playing very well. Yeah, I should have specified. Yeah, so just to be clear, uh, Connor Hellebuck is struggling, uh, to be totally honest. Uh, if you watched the Pittsburgh game last night, uh, the third goal that he let in, not sure if you saw the game or not, just absolutely brutal. It's a wrist shot from kind of the just over the blue line, and it just sneaks through him. And it's those types of goals that don't happen very often, but it's those types of goals that will make you lose hockey games. I think this goes back to the same conversation we just had with Patrick Laine. It's about consistency. When you pitch a couple of shutouts in a row, you're the best goalie in the world. But then if you go a long stretch of games where you're letting in a few bad goals per game... It's which one? Which one do you would you rather have? A guy who's kind of mediocre but decent all the time, or who's super hot and cold? And I think Hellebuck's been a pretty consistent goaltender overall. And when you looked at his career, but I think goaltenders kind of go longer patterns where you have a really good season and the next season a little bit down. Is this just a down season for him, or what do you think? Well, it's tough, and I mentioned that really bad goal against Pittsburgh, and I'm telling I'm calling it what it was. It was a bad goal, but. I'm not as concerned about that as I am about the rest of his play and how he looks in the net. Um, my classic ratings for goaltenders, I don't know if you remember this. I the, do. The fear index. The fear index. Um, it essentially goes purely based on how nervous I am that the puck is going to go in the net when the other team shoots. Which is kind of like a confidence index, which yeah. is also very subjective. It's also purely subjective to my own feelings, has nothing to do with actual stats. Uh, Pavlik was... Super high on the fear index. I'm sure you guys can all relate to that. Um, Hellebuck historically has been fairly low. And I like the goaltenders who are big and boring. That, that's why I, I like this index. He plays the angles well. Hellebuck does. He, he's big. He gets in position. He doesn't overcompensate or do too much. He just gets in the way. And that's all you need. But. There's the but. That hasn't been happening lately. Connor Hellebuck is, is bobbling pucks. He, he's not gaining the rebounds. Um, he's putting pucks into vulnerable areas. He's having a tough time getting the first read. And then when he's trying to recover, he's putting himself out of position sometimes. So it, it's not the 
um, necessarily, he's not big and boring anymore, or he is, but when he's not clearing those rebounds away, when he doesn't have that control, he has to start sliding around the crease, which is not his specialty, and I think that's why we're maybe seeing some more goals than normal on Hellebuck. I've been hearing people speculating, they want to say, we should play Laurent Brassois more. People are also saying we overpaid for Connor Hellebuck. I've definitely heard people say that he's kind of overrated. Where do you put him right now as far as rating goes? Maybe we saw him as a Vesna finalist last year. Takes the Winnipeg Jets on a great run. We are seeing him struggle a little bit this year. And he's not playing that bad. If he was playing that bad, the Jets would be losing a lot more hockey games. But your thoughts on just kind of where he is as a goaltender. Is this just kind of a down period? Is he actually, is this kind of more the Connor Hellbuck we can expect? Was last year the anomaly? Your thoughts? Well, I think if you look at historically how he performs, he he's always been really good. And if you look at his numbers through the AHL, through his junior career, I think NCAA career, you look at his numbers, they've always been consistently good. In every tournament that he plays in, he's always been an above-average goaltender. So it would seem to me that he should be an above-average goaltender in the NHL. That's why I think last season's Hellebuck is more of the true Hellebuck than what we've got so far this season. And when you look at the Jets' play in general, the Jets' play overall is not up to where they were last season. It's not just Hellebuck, it's the defensive play, it's the zone coverage, it's a lot of the play, it's not just Hellebuck that is not quite up to snuff like what we saw last year. Looking at the pure numbers, and save percentage is often ones that guys look at, 9-18 was the 2015-16 season for Hellebuck, playing in 26 games. Next year, he dropped down to 907. And that's when a lot of people were kind of starting to question, is he going to be the guy? That's we, Do we need somebody to help him out? That's when they brought in Steve Mason for the 2017-18 season. Mason obviously wasn't the answer. Hellebuck said, no, I'm the guy. He had a 924 save percentage, a 236 goals against. Unreal numbers. This season, it's dropped back down to 907, the exact same as 2016 17. So kind of interesting numbers that he's dropped back to that 907. Again, 907 is still not terrible. I think Connor Hellbuck is probably somewhere in the middle. I think 924 is pretty hard to sustain for an entire career. Will he get back up close to that? Hopefully. Is he always going to stay at 907? Hopefully not. I would like to say that his average probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and that's and that's pretty safe because he's been going back and forth between the two numbers. But I think nine twenty four last year is probably going to be the peak. That's going to be probably one of his best seasons on his career. Not wanting to be pessimistic, but you can't get much better than that over a season. No, we, we just haven't well, seen. It. Well, you've seen a few in the nine thirties historically, guys right, winning Vezinas, but, but it doesn't happen unless you're that absolute elite goaltender every year, which Hellebuck might turn into. We don't really know yet. But I think like you're exactly right. As long as Hellebuck is is average, as long as he in, he's in the 915 to 920 range, which I think he can sustain in the long run, the Jets are going to be a good team. And that's what Paul Maurice has stated all along. We don't need our goaltending to be great. We just need average goaltending. Because the Jets are a good enough team outside of the crease that if they get league average goaltending, they will still be in the in the upper half of the league making the playoffs going on a run. Exactly. The power play is top-notch. They've got the offensive ability. Their defense, I know some nights, looks a little bit suspect at times. We're not even going to get into Tyler Myers on today's show. We've talked about him in the past. But like you said, league average goaltending is kind of what they're hoping for, and I think they can get that this year. Next up, we want to take a look at some roster moves Winnipeg Gents have made lately. Since our last podcast, we finally have some 
uh, conclusion on what's going on with Christian Veselainen. He is heading back overseas to Europe. Yeah, so he's going back to uh, Jokerit of the KHL. So once again, he's going to Finland, not actually Russia. Uh, Jokerit being the only Finnish team in the KHL, so he'll be pay- playing against a bunch bunch of Russian teams, but he will still be in his own home country. He'll feel right at home. Uh, good and bad to this. The good is he will go back to a system that he knows. He's going to go back to a country he knows. He's a young kid. It'll probably be tough for a young guy who would try to make it in North America. It's a different culture, a different language, uh, that sort of thing. So I think it might be good for his personal development to go back uh, to Europe for another season. Yeah, I don't think it really hurts. The Jets right now in a position uh, where they have other guys to fill in his role, and it wasn't that he was bringing that much And the Jets weren't really banking on him being in the lineup. At the beginning of the season, we hoped that he would be, but they weren't putting all of their eggs in the Christian Veselainen basket. If he made it, great. They would work things around. If he didn't, it's not the end of the world. They've sent players back to junior before. It's really no different than sending Shifley back to uh, the OHL and then not being able to get him for the rest of the season. That just happens with young players. Look how Shifley turned out. Not saying that Veselainen is going to be Mark Shifley. That's going to be pretty tough shoes to fill, but... Again, he's a player that I don't think we need to be worried about. Guys like Kyle Connor, he played in the Moose for a year. There's a lot of different examples of guys who've uh, done other things like that. But but I do think, on the other hand, the downside is he's not playing for the Moose. Because the Moose and the Jets play very similar systems. And that's one of the main things they've been trying to do over the last couple of years. So that when guys get called up from the Moose, they're playing the exact same system. They're playing the exact same style so that they know how Winnipeg Jets hockey looks. And that's yeah, the one thing Veselainen is not going to get True, Europe. but Mark Scheifele did go back to junior and then come up to the Correct. NHL. Yes. He didn't go through the Moose, no, really. No, but if you look at a bunch of guys who came from the Moose, kind of the, not the super high-end guys, but maybe a guy like Morrissey, maybe a guy like Connor, Rozovic, Patan, all these guys, those bubble players, those fringe players, all played for the Moose, and I think that's a good thing. It, it gets... Veselainen on the coaching staff's radar. It gets some one-on-one time with the coaching staff specific things to work on. Now he's just across the pond and who knows what he's working on in his off-season workouts, in his daily routine. I you agree. Just don't know. I agree. But we don't burn a year of his contract, do we? No. So it essentially so, extends it. Exactly. And so that's also good news because the Winnipeg Jets then, when the big contracts kick in in a couple years for Line and Connor, and we're going to get to that in the next segment... Then they have Veselainen on an entry-level deal. And even if he does play for the Manitoba Moose for a year, say he goes back to Finland and then comes back and still plays another year with the Moose, the Jets are going to be fine without him. This can be a long-term project. There's no need to rush Christian Veselainen. If the Jets were a bubble team and they had tons of issues, yes, maybe then you'd be like, come on, let's get this guy here, but... I don't think you need to rush. No, I agree. Uh, As far as the contract situation goes, I've argued it'd be better to burn a year and, and make him sign his second deal sooner. Because if he waits a year, develops, he's now coming in as a 20-year-old and has three seasons to perform. If you burn a year now, next year maybe he's a bubble player, you burn a second year, now he only has one year to perform before you're signing him to his next contract compared to if he comes in next year, makes the team, best case scenario, well now you're going to have to pay him a lot in three years as opposed to if you burn a couple of years, maybe you have to pay him way less 
when you're signing that next deal. You just have to right. do it one you're year thinking, sooner. You're, yeah, you're thinking really long term. I'm thinking that if you can have him playing at his peak for three full seasons on an entry-level deal, who knows who's still going to be on the team after that time. That's what I'm thinking, that you want three full years of entry-level. You're thinking burn a couple years so that you can have him long term on a cheaper because deal. Because then if he only has one year of NHL experience at that point, you sign him to a four- or five-year deal for only three or four million and that saves you in the long run. Uh, on the other hand, if he plays really well for three years, you're signing him maybe to a six, seven, eight million dollar deal if he's performing like a, a first round pick. Yeah, and so there's a couple different ways to look at it. It really depends on where you think the Gents' peak is going to be. I think the peak is right now, so I want him three years on the right now plan. But again, we're kind of just going back and forth, kind of talking in circles. Uh, the other roster moves because of this, uh, Veselainen going overseas, uh, that means that basically there's a lot more opportunity now for Patan. Marco Dano's been brought back into the fold. Uh, Andrew Kopp uh, really suffering one of the first injuries we've seen to forwards this year that uh, is really of any substance. So he is out. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets moving around their bottom six. Your thoughts on the way they've kind of adjusted things so far? Yeah, so with Cop going down, they called up Mason Appleton. So Appleton kind of leapfrogs ahead of where he maybe thought he would be, uh, originally behind Veselainen on, on the depth chart, uh, behind Lemieux, behind Dano, behind all those guys. Uh, Appleton, not a very likely guy to get called up, at least at the start of the year. Now with Dano for the Moose, having to clear waivers going back and forth, Dano's likely going to stay with the Moose. Veselainen is now in Europe and now an injury. Well, now Appleton's the next guy. So an absolutely phenomenal situation for him. Uh, I believe he has 19 points in 18 games for the Moose. He's leading the team in goals. He's leading the team in assists and total points. So a, a great reward for Appleton, who's been having a, a decent start to the season. It's just interesting how he's leapfrogged almost three guys since the start of the year almost the exact opposite of what we saw about two months ago. And what, But this is exactly what he's consistently done. The way he was drafted, he was drafted a little bit later. He wasn't really on anybody's radar. He wasn't on my radar when he came in. He performed so well last year for the Manitoba Moose. Surprised a lot of people. Able to do it again this year. And I think he deserves it. Whether he's going to get a lot of playing time, that's yet to be seen. But with this uh, roster opportunity with Cop out of the lineup and Dano down with the Manitoba Moose, it just gives him some opportunity. And so hopefully he will get some playing time. He Hasn't been in yet, uh, but of course we'll have to wait and see and whether they just give him some games or whether they just keep him up with the NHL for a little while until uh, Cop gets back. That still remains to be seen. But uh, Dustin Bufflin, one other thing we kind of wanted to mention as far as roster moves go, Dustin Bufflin uh, going down with injury in the last game. And you said there's actually uh, kind of not really a hearing, but something coming up for that. Yeah, so this is going to be a little bit of a concern potentially going forward. Uh, going into the Pittsburgh Penguins game on Tuesday night, uh, Jacob Truba did not practice the day before. He missed the morning skate, but he was kind of a game-time decision. Paul Marie said he would play. So Truba's obviously a little banged up here and there. Uh, Kulikov's already been out, been out for a long time, just resumed skating. He's still probably three or four weeks away. So Truba's bruised, Kulikov's out. We know that. That's not a big surprise. But Dustin Bufflin uh, has a huge collision with Jamie Alexiak, um, kind of at center ice. And it looks like Alexiak's helmet kind of gets Bufflin in the chin. Didn't look anything outrageous, but Bufflin was clearly dazed. Couldn't even get onto the bench. Sherratt was hugging him, trying to drag this 250-pound man over the bench. It wasn't really working that well, just given Bufflin's size. Uh, regardless, he gets a call to the quiet room. They do some testing. 
he he resumes play. A lot of people maybe did not think he should have resumed play just the way he looked. Um, so the NHL, not really investigating, but they're going to be looking at kind of the process um, for Dustin Bufflin. I believe there's going to be some more testing as of today, whether he actually sustained a concussion or not. Uh, those head injuries are always so hard to diagnose, so hard to look at. Watching it, you could say, well, yes, he was concussed, but I've had times maybe in my own life or maybe you know somebody, you can get hit in the head, not suffer a concussion, but still feel a little bit dazed. And I think that could have been what Bufflin had. Uh, He was just a little bit dazed, a little bit confused for a second, but maybe no concussion. And and there's so much subjectivity with these things. It's so hard to know. It's not not the same as a broken bone. It it is broken or it's not. Um, So just a little bit to note for Dustin Bufflin that the the testing might not be over for that uh, collision on with Jamie Alexiak. Yeah, like you said, it's not a black and white issue. It's not something that's easily diagnosed and everybody is affected differently. And so uh, just wanting to check up to make sure the Jets are using the right protocol. I hope they are and I hope they're not rushing a player like that back. And so hopefully everything will check out and we don't have to talk about this again. All right, final segment. Maybe this one is going to get heated. I'm kind of excited to see what's going to happen. Talking contracts, specifically William Nylander. All right, I'm going to start just by pounding the tail. Hey, here we go. Trying to get fired up for this segment. We, we sometimes get heated and we don't yell at each other very often. Not really seriously very often. But we'll see what happens here. Talking about contract negotiations. And we often have differing opinions when it comes to negotiations and holdouts. I'm not a fan of players holding out. I know you understand it from their perspective and I do to a certain degree as well but we're talking about William Nylander right now uh, getting close to the December 1st deadline of having to sign a contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs otherwise uh, he has to sit out the entire season Uh, because this is not a Jets topic specifically we will relate how this affects the Winnipeg Jets but just kind of your thoughts on the situation I'm of the opinion that he should sign a contract he's not worth eight million dollars I've been hearing the figure of 6.9 thrown around. I think that could work. I think that makes sense. But really, the issue and topic here is paying for what they've done versus paying for what's to come. Percentage of cap hit, and there's a lot of different ways to analyze value. Yeah, exactly. And you hit that right on the head there because William Nylander is in a weird situation. It's not unlike Jacob Truba a few seasons ago, who was pretty much the exact who was holding same. out a little bit different just due to the nature of positions and that sort of thing. Of um, course. The reason why I think, or what kind of reported is, William Nylander is holding out because he thinks he's worth more, not because necessarily of his performance, but because of what Mitch Marner is going to get when he signs next year. So this is really interesting to me because now you have... He's comparing himself to Marner, and I don't think anybody would argue that he's better than Mitch Marner. I don't think it's even close. Marner's putting up unreal numbers right now for the Leafs. Okay, I thought you just said that William Nylander is better than Marner. No, not okay, even close. Okay, I thought that's what you were implying. Okay, Marner is in, in a total separate level. Same with Matthews. But, well, yes, and that that is not argued. But William Nylander does not want to be half the value of those guys. If he's at 6.5... $6 million range where some people are reporting potentially Austin Matthews signs for 12, 13 million. That's all of a sudden double what William Nylander gets. Mitch Marner, I think is worth over 10 just with his performance. So if he's now worth 10 or 11, is Nylander worth four or $5 million less than Mitch Marner? Well, well I don't think so either. So Nylander wants to 
wants to sign so he can get as close to Marner as possible. He wants to be up in that seven, eight million dollar range, so he's close to Marner's ten. And that's what I think the big sticking point is: is not necessarily as what other comparables are around the league, but the comparables within his own team and what they're going to sign for next offseason. Let's be honest here. William Nylander hasn't blown people away with his numbers. He's had some good seasons, yes. Uh, Last season on a really good Toronto Maple Leafs team, he had 20 goals, 41 assists for 61 points. That's a pretty standard season. Not, Not it doesn't blow anybody away, but it's pretty good. 20-goal guy in his third season in the NHL. I think anybody would be happy with that coming into the league. That was his second season in the NHL. That was actually his his third season. That was his first full season in the NHL. No, his second full season. His first season that was split between the Marlies and Leafs. Right, he only played 22 games, though. Right, he played 22 games in the NHL in his first season. season. His second season, he had 22 goals, 39 assists for uh, 61 points. So his first full season, he had 61 points. Yeah, his second full season, he also had 61 points. Right. His... First two full seasons, 61 points. That's pretty consistent, pretty good numbers. Uh, just looking here on Hockey DB, so we have plus minus, and I know that that's not a stat that we really want to look into. Uh, he was plus 20, but again, I think that has to do with the team getting better around him, the team looking better his second full season compared to first. But two good seasons, right around 20 goals, pretty consistent, playing on a really good team, and he's got a lot of talent around him. There's been other different aspects of his game I know people have often complained about, but they complain about everything in Toronto, just kind of like we do here on this podcast on different shows. I don't think he deserves eight. When you look at some of the guys, and again, it's contracts that were signed in the past of guys making eight. Well, and that's why and you say inflation, that. inflation, so, right? So people say a lot of the, one of the comparables is David Pasternak. Pasternak signed at six years for $6.666 million. So Pasternak's just under that $7 million mark. Pasternak's good. The reason why we are talking about Nylander is because it relates to the Winnipeg Jets. So William Nylander and Kyle Connor are almost the identical hockey player. Wow. Not really in style. No, not in style. Connor is more of a goal scorer. Nylander maybe more of a passer. But if you look at their points per game over their entire young NHL careers, Nylander has .73 points per game. Connor has 0.72 points per game. So Connor very slightly under William Nylander's career mark. Very slightly. Okay, yeah. So Nylander is a little bit better than Kyle Connor. They're born the same year. They're approaching their contract status at uh, similar times. So what would you sign Kyle Connor for? What is Kyle Connor worth to the Winnipeg Jets? Is it $6 million? Is it way beyond $6 million? And that's kind of the question here and why we're relating it to William Nylander. See, for Kyle Connor, this is his third season in the NHL. But really, when you look at it, this is only his second full season. The first year he came up, he played 20 games in the NHL. He had five points, went back to the Manitoba Moose. Next year, he played four games for the Moose. Last year, we all know what happened. He was with the Jets the entire year. He should have been in the running for the Calder Trophy. He had 31 goals, 57 points, playing with some elite players. He looked good. This year, he's looked even better than last year. Yeah, he's played with two elite players in Shifley and Wheeler. He's still playing with elite players in Patrick Laine and Brian Little, but he's driving that line. He's playing more of a complete game, in my opinion, because there was worries he was a passenger. It looks like this year he's a driver. He's putting up over a point a game this season in only his second full season in the league, which is above the pace that we saw from William Nylander in Nylander's second season, second full season. Right. 
Yes. So Kyle Connor at the end of this season, in theory, will have better numbers than William Nylander. He should, yes. Yes, he should. Very slightly. Especially with goals totals. Yep. Nobody's arguing that. And then goals often get paid at a more of a premium than assists. Just the way it works, unless you're getting a ton of assists like Joe Thornton or Blake Wheeler. Generally, goal scorers like Ovechkin get paid a lot. I'm saying that Kyle Connor's value is higher than William Nylander, so the Winnipeg Jets obviously want this Nylander contract to be as low as possible. But if you're getting Nylander at $7 million a season, you're going to have to pay Kyle Connor north of that because he's going to look. He's like, look, come on. Plus, with a year later, it's going to be another year of inflation. William Nylander's getting seven. I deserve at least seven and a half. And then it just goes up from there. Patrick Liney's like, well, I'm scoring double the goals you are. I should be getting paid $8 million, $9 million, $10 million. And it just kind of goes up from there. And the place is just the f- prices just continue to go up, and it gets almost absurd how much some of these players are going to be demanding. So the interesting thing I find as well is that when we're, when we're talking about Kyle Connor and William Nylander and comparing them, you kind of also have to compare it to Nikolai Ehlers because Ehlers and Nylander used to be a very similar type player. Now it's Ehlers and Connor, which one's worth more? And I think at, a lot of people used to think Nikolai Ehlers was better than Kyle Connor would become. So Ehlers, if you look at his contract, it's a seven-year deal at $6 million per season. So Ehlers is only at six. I don't think Kyle Connor is going to even be close to that. I think he's going to be well above that mark. I think Nylander will be well above that mark. I think that Ehlers' contract is the super low minimum floor of what these guys are going to be signing for. And so now for the Winnipeg Jets, the question becomes how many players can you have over $6 million on your team? Because eventually Josh Morrissey is going to get paid. He signed a one-year bridge deal or two? It was a two-year deal, right, that he just signed? His next contract's going to be big. He's going to be asking north of that. Let's be honest, Jacob Truba's probably not going to sign long-term, just the way his contract negotiations have gone with the holdout and everything like that. He's probably not going to sign long-term either. But Line, Wheeler, Shifley, Ehlers, Connor, how many guys can you have over $6 Plus million? Hellebuck, plus Bufflin. Plus Hellebuck, plus Bufflin, plus Morrissey eventually soon too. <laughs> That's a very expensive unit. And then you've also got guys like Little, who's taken up over $5 million. Perot's taking up over, what, $4 million, I think? It gets pretty expensive. How do you balance that? And then just taking a look at Ehlers' numbers, though, his numbers are actually what Willie Nylander's numbers are. Very similar. You look at Ehlers and his seasons, he had 38 points in 72 games, so a partial kind of first rookie season. 64 points in 82 in his second year. 60 points in 82 in his third year. Very similar to the number. Actually, more goals than Willie Nylander. And so you take a look at William Nylander, and he's asking over seven. And you take a look at Ehlers and the contract he got. Why wouldn't you just give Nylander what Ehlers got? Or very similar. He should be in the $6 million range. Well, and that goes back to the point where, is like I said, he's not comparing himself to Ehlers. He's not comparing himself to Connor or Pasternak. He's comparing himself to, am I $5 million less than Mitch Marner. Well, Mitch Marner doesn't have a contract yet, so well, no, it's kind but, of a, but it will be double digits. Well, Mitch Marner is playing a million times right? better than so. Well, is Austin million, Matthews but. worth over twice as much as William Nylander? Honestly, Nylander yes. Does, Nylander doesn't think so. I, I think so. So should he be more in that seven to eight million dollar range? Because that's what he thinks he will be, and that's why they're having that standoff. He's not trying to compare so himself which to other do you, people. Bro, which do you prefer, paying for what you think a player is going to do, or paying for what a player's done? Well, you have to pay for what they're going to do. These guys coming off their entry-level deals because their entry-level contracts are so subjective. Some guys perform great, some guys don't. 
you just you have to guess. There needs to be a balance. That's the only option. There you, needs to be a balance. It has to be based partially on what they've done, but on where they're headed. Because you and like with free agency deals, the days of signing a 30-year-old to a massive deal are kind of going by the wayside. We're seeing less and less of those massive deals. Unfortunately, we still see some. And Blake Wheeler got a really big contract at 33. But you got to you you want to spend the most money when they're young so that the co- the value of the contract looks good. Cuz that's what it's all about, maximizing value for dollars spent. So you just have to essentially bank on them outperforming their contract. So you got to hope that Nikolai Ehlers outperforms his $6 million. I don't think William Nylander is going to outperform his contract if he signs for $8 million. Potentially not. But then the other side of things is Kyle Connor. Well, you can argue that, okay, yeah, he had 30 goals as a rookie. Maybe he's at, that's worth seven. But now you look at this next season, what can he become in the next five years playing aside Patrick Laine? Does he become an 80-point scorer, a 90-point scorer? He's almost already a point a game this season. If you're paying him like a... a over a point a game player, now you're reaching double digits. Is Kyle Connor worth double digits? And so here's what it also becomes as a player. Would you rather be a player who's outperforming his contract or would you rather be a player who is performing to his contract level? And here's an example, Carl Alsner. And maybe that's a bad example, but here's a guy who signed a really big contract for $4 million and you can't blame a guy for getting paid, but now he's not in the NHL. Is he ever going to play in the NHL again? Maybe not for a while. Maybe he's going to be stuck in the AHL for a while because his contract looks bad. And so now if you're a guy who's making $8 million and you're underperforming, well, then you look terrible and you get, there's a lot of disdain from the fans. There's disdain from management. If you're not living up to your contract, are you going to get traded? Is there going to be too much pressure, too much expectations? So is it almost better for a player to sign something slightly undervalued have less pressure, outperform it, you're still making a ton of money either way, especially to get something long-term. It's not only cap-friendly, it's not only friendly for the team, but it also gives you less pressure, less expectations, and you look like a hero. And again, it's all... I don't know. And maybe this is just me being selfish about wanting players to sign team-friendly deals for our team, but there's those, those are some arguments that some well, players are, might think about. There are legitimate concerns there, and you always got to remember that there are injuries that can happen. Absolutely. You could not be playing a year from now, two years from now, but... That's why bridge deals are so risky. But the NHL is very different than some other pro sports leagues. You're talking NFL players, how many guys signed for eight-year deals? Almost none. Exactly. Quarterbacks. Because they're, they don't last that long in the NFL. In the NHL, you can and likely will last that long, but it's not guaranteed. So that's why I don't blame a player for absolutely maxing out his value as soon as he possibly can. So I understand the bridge deal. Yes, three years, I'll have a way better contract, but I do not fault a player for a guy like William Nylander. If I can get seven now, I want that seven now. Because what happened in two years, now he's made $14 million, a major injury, whatever happens, and and he doesn't get that anymore. Exactly. But if he can take a contract that's worth $6 million now, let's say $6 million flat, but he can get it for eight years, that's $44. No, but I'm saying, what if he gets hurt after two years? But then he's still got that contract that he signed for six years. That's that massive amount. And I'm sure with insurance, you get a lot of that. Don't you? I think you'll, depending on long-term injury reserve, we'd have to look at the numbers, the percentages of that. But regardless... But I'm saying, if he gets a one-year payout of seven, and then all of a sudden he gets this massive injury... 
and then he never gets another contract again, well, then he's not making that much. No, but and, if, and it can happen both ways. And so it, it's the do you bet on yourself because if you d- sign a long-term deal, say Nikolai, Nikolai Ehlers signs a $6 million a year deal, well, let's say Nikolai Ehlers has a phenomenal progression. In two years' time, Nikolai, Nikolai Ehlers scores 40 goals. He, he scores 45 goals. Is he worth way more than $6 million? Well, yes. So now he's losing out on so much money because of the contract he signed. But you're not losing out because of the other benefits. Because, like I said before, you're now having a team that loves having you on the lineup. Everybody looks on you favorably. Yeah, you I, can add other pieces to the team. I understand greater that. chance of winning. But the, my, the greater chance of winning is to not put money in my pocket. But you have a greater chance of staying in the lineup. The amount that Paul Maurice loves me does not increase the amount of money I make. But my question, though, is what's the difference between $48 million and $54 million? Realistically, lifestyle-wise. Not much. Well, life, I personally life, don't life, know. Much. I personally don't know how much different your life looks when you're spending... Forty-eight million opposed to fifty-two million. But you could say that about you. Just scale it down. What about a person making forty-eight thousand dollars a year compared to fifty-two thousand? Would you take a four thousand dollar raise? Yeah, absolutely. You well, would. Well, yeah. How much would that impact? But I'm your just day-to-day talking. Living? I'm talking lifestyle change between no me too. Million. Me too. Okay. Between forty-eight thousand and fifty-two thousand. Forty-eight thousand, fifty-two thousand. Honestly, not that much. But would you take it? Would you fight for, for all would of those you perks? Fight for that? Maybe not. Well, that's so, that's the question these guys and, are weighing. And, would exactly, you, would you fight for that ten percent raise, that five percent raise? And remember, they don't make that money when you're when you're talking twenty, thirty percent taken off instantly, taxes, escrow, all that sort of thing. They're they're left with less than half of that money. Exactly, but I'm saying when it's spread out over a six year, eight year contract, forty eight million dollars is how much you make on an eight year deal worth six million. So if you add that up to seven million, that's only an extra eight million dollars over a six year span. There's a lot that can happen over that span. So are you going to be losing out on that eight million dollars? That's actually quite a bit of money when you think about a million dollars over an eight year contract, million per season. But honestly, though, the lifestyle difference between $48 million and $56 million, to me, isn't that great when you think about that lump sum. The difference isn't huge. No, I think and it's- I, I agree with that. But once again, I don't fault the players for trying to make as much money as they can. No, and I understand that. But I think there also needs to be a balance. And I think some of these contracts are getting ridiculous. You can't just continually keep going up. The, Winnipeg, the NHL isn't making that much money. The, the problem right now is that the rich players keep getting richer and the poor players aren't getting paid as much. You got the bottom end guys, and are they that much worse that they are only making $1 million and this other guy's making twelve? Especially for like, let's say a guy like Jonathan Taves. Is he $12 million or $10 million more? I don't know. No, I understand that, but unfortunately, that's how the world works. Exactly. And, and the elite how, are getting paid like crazy, well, and, that's and how there needs just, to be balance for the middle guys. I don't have an economics degree. I do have a business degree, but regardless, that that is how it works in the world. Yeah, the elite get paid, is, and the, the rest of the guys Jeff, get kind of middle. Is Jeff Bezos, the Amazon CEO, is he worth $130-some billion? Is he worth that much more than any other CEO of a large company? Likely not, but the rich get richer, the other guys don't. 
And, and that's how it works. I get it, but they're earning their money based on like it's it's a little bit different than athletes getting paid because athletes are getting paid doing the exact same job. He's getting paid for being the for running a business and paid for what he's selling. I'm getting paid based for talking on the radio. There's a little bit difference for no, the job. No, but I'm talking doing. about what about a CEO of a different company? And again, it so you're doing a the, similar job. But it's, it's it depends on how, what the company's doing, and there's I don't know. We're getting way off topic here. It's I, I knew this was going to get heated because we off, we have differing topics, uh, opinions when it comes to contracts. I think though we can kind of leave it at there because we're coming to the end of the show. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, I think that's pretty much it. The William Nylander, like we said, the reason why we're talking about it, it's going to set I think kind of the floor for Kyle Connor, and that's where it's going to get interesting. If he signs for seven, I think Kyle Connor is going to be more than that, and that's how it's going to relate to the Winnipeg Jets. Kyle Connor is going to be William Nylander plus a little bit. Find all of the Jets Nation podcasts at jetsnation.ca.